0: We'll get started on the message today. Something that did happen on the way to church that's worth sharing with you guys because it pairs up so well with with uh, our Sunday school is Conrad, you guys are all familiar with him, if, if not by um, the time that he came here last month, but just by name, he sent me a message because him and I often go back and forth, um, Instagram, private messaging, uh, text, we'll call each other, and it's really nice because even when I don't, and it's not like I, I let a lot of time go by before I do, he'll then redirect it back to the faith he's a new Christian man, he's like in love with God's Word and um, as I've always said he's a very very smart guy and so he wanted to know how much of our perception do you think is uh, based on um, manipulation or like psychological operations mm. in the context of what we were talking about we were talking about the 1950s and 60s Project Mockingbird that the CIA launched um, and that's not a conspiracy I mean that was actually an entire department that they had set aside they had budgets for it the documents have been released to the public and my response to him was, all of it. And and I, I made it clear right underneath of that text that I sent him, I'm not saying that the CIA or some shadowy figure in the deep state controls all of our thoughts and emotions. I'm just saying that our perception, our worldview, our confirmation biases, as Brother Matt Powell shared uh, three weeks ago now, is shaped by those around us. And it doesn't just have to be the news and the media outlets, and there are pre- pre-approved scripts that we hear parroted. Um, but it's really those around us, whether that's parents or colleagues, students, more likely while you're still young and impressionable. And I believe that's why God gives us such perfect guidelines in his guidebook about how to live a peaceable life if it were possible with all men, is because he knows that we're impressionable and we have to be because we have free will. And it was just pretty amazing how it wrapped itself up in this like warm, cozy blanket of practicality when... You know, Conrad, or just a buddy of mine, reached out to me and he fleshed these things out. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to jump around just a little bit. I'll do my best to give you um, a heads up on where to turn, and then I'll go to the verse before that for the sake of efficiency. But let's get into the introduction. I'll say a prayer, and then one, two, three. We'll pound this out. It'll be great. So let's get this out of the way. Uh, by the way, the, the message of, of uh, or the title of today's message is You Better Act Right being separate, and three things. And these are going to be our three points we cover today. Thought, word, and deed. Um, The three are distinctly individual, but also synonymous with one another because it all forms a perfect circle or a triangle, as we'll talk about later. And so much of what I looked up just by happenstance really came from not only the New Testament, but a lot of Paul's writings. And so the subtitle is Paul's Powerful Practical Guidance. Desperate Times call for devout messengers rather than desperate measures, because we never have to be desperate as born-again Christians. So let's get this out of the way so we can move beyond any doctrinal landmines. Acting right, whether false piety or born of a sincere love for Jesus to please him, has no bearing on our eternal position in Jesus by putting on Jesus from Romans 13. And being kept in his hand, which no man can pluck us out of. We find that in John 10. So to parallel our earthly family tree, which Sarah will um, attest I have a whole lot of confusion working with. I don't really understand cousins and second removed and anything like that. So I'm very thankful that God directly adopts us. There's no grandchildren with God. So to parallel our earthly family tree, I am unable to revoke my sonship status by my, my mom or my dad by speaking it into existence. You know, like Michael Scott in the office, he he just thought he could declare bankruptcy. It's not how it works. Our adoption into Christ's family tree as our promised seed of Abraham, that's who he is in Galatians 3, uh, 16 I believe, but Galatians 3, our actions or inactions can please or displease God. But those actions will never be a revocation or a disannulment, divorcement, what have you, of our absolute assurance of salvation. And again, I'm just covering this up because we're going to talk a lot about um, behavior today and how we act on a daily basis. Remember, God hates divorce and putting away. Knowing his unwavering stance, he won't defy himself as a double-minded man does, unstable in all other ways, from James 1.8. And so uh, much of what we'll look at tonight, if not everything, if my memory serves me right from my notes, God is very absolute. He's very all-encompassing. He doesn't say something that leaves some gray area or a few pieces of the edge to fill in that puzzle. He uses words like always. So today, thoughts, words, and deeds. We'll dig in immediately here. So our thoughts, our first point, our takeaway here, uh, I found a really cool verse, and there were so many that popped up that we're so familiar with. I found one by digging just a little bit deeper, but we're all still familiar with it. One of my favorite verses of all time, because God He's not a psychologist, but psychology today will borrow, steal a lot of his tenets from, from scripture and use it as their own awesome devices, right? Because they're, they're just so witty. But Philippians 4, verse 8 reads, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. And that's quite a list all of that and you could say there's a whole lot of overlap there yeah there is because that's what you want to fill your heart with the verse ends by saying this if there be any virtue and if there be any praise think on these things so this is an active commandment it's not something that you can do and then get beyond it you know you don't get your black belt in thinking on good things and then you retire from taekwondo or jujitsu these are this is something that god said if you want to have that peace in your heart that passes understanding that no man can know until they know me, then you just have to dwell on these things. And he gives us the prescription right here. Something else I thought was uh, appropriate came from Proverbs 24, verse 9. And it says, the thought, we're talking about our thoughts right now, of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. Man, that's powerful there too, because we're always thinking about what we should and shouldn't do as far as our position in Jesus Christ our God and his commandments, this is saying that if you're a scorner or a scoffer, you're laughing at people, that you're an abomination to your own brethren, your men, your yeah. colleagues, your neighborhood. And man, isn't that true? You know, you can always find that person in a party because they're somewhere off in a corner like a wallflower, no one's talking to them, because they'll either mono- monopolize your time or they just won't even have anything to add to the conversation. So as always, God's standards for our life Aren't just high, he doesn't just set the bar, they're perfect, they're holy. His perfect expectations, desires, and commandments go as far as to include our thoughts. Meaning, God isn't merely interested in our outward show of servitude, but our inward motives behind it. So, what's the gasoline? You know, what's the fuel that runs this thing? Yeah, the car goes from stoplight to stoplight. But what are you putting inside of it to make it do that? And God's interested in that because thoughts become things. And that's not some New Age Eastern mm-hmm. mysticism. I'm just saying that you got to filter things through you know, your gray matter up here and from in here before it becomes an action in living color. As Paul said, he has a whole lot to say this morning, we have the mind of Christ. And this is somewhere I'd like you guys to, to be eyes on here, if you would. It's 1 Corinthians 2.16 if you turn there. And the reason why is because when I prepare notes, I, I suppose like anybody, I, I do it through my own lens. I can't look through anyone else's eyes or their uh, mindset or their heart. And this caught me off guard. I know I've read it, I've certainly read it. I've been through the New Testament several times, but the wording opened my eyes. So we're gonna read it here. It says, First Corinthians two sixteen, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. This is so powerful for me because there's a lot going on here, and without camping out too long on this, as the the clock winds down on Sunday school, I I always wish we had more time. But it says that we can know, this is not something unknowable, this isn't an enigma, that we can know the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. So we can actually, what this is saying here in context, I believe, is that we have no right to instruct God and godly things because it flows from him to us, not the other way around. Right. but we can have the mind of Christ. That's, that's current. So this is something that's very present. It's not something that we're constantly trying to attain. Reincarnation, good works, you know, a, a defeatist attitude, all is lost. Nothing like that. God is saying that we can not only know his mind, but then because of that, we can shape our thoughts to be more like his thoughts. And because of that, we can be a more effective Christian in our own daily walk and out there in the world. And that's what he wants and expects of us. I love that, have the mind of Christ. It's almost like that verse that says we have eternal life, that we have it now. We don't have to wait for it. It's not a present that we're waiting to open on a certain day, and then once the warranty expires, we've got to go get another one. It's salvation. I love it. Uh, now, we see the important God places on providing us a refreshed or renewed mind and spirit daily. Obviously, that's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. We, we have to die daily. Uh, another cool excerpt from Paul, and he was, when he got inspired to pen down scripture, he got inspired, and he just didn't stop. I think I'll write a dozen books. No, that's not enough. So this makes perfect sense because we serve an involved, compassionate God that doesn't bark do-as-I-say orders from an ivory tower on high, Uh, like Muhammad, for example, uh, who is also very hypocritical. And he definitely doesn't leave these cryptic riddles or breadcrumb trails for us to try to follow and hope they don't blow away in the wind. Uh, something that when you're talking about things that can't be deciphered, you can't know them. That reminds me also of, of the Buddha, uh, Buddhism. And Sarah and I have been taking some of our time, by obvious contrast, to just really lift the Bible up for the beautiful work that it is. And we've been looking into Buddhism and uh, we watched a documentary on it. We. Couldn't finish it. Uh, we yeah. got maybe half an hour in. And at some point, you just have to understand, I know what I know. These things are made true. And I've added that knowledge to my virtue. And I'm not going to entertain this foolishness anymore because the thought of it's sin, like as we just yeah. talked about. But one of the things that it, it really got into in this documentary is how Christianity will play a sleight of hand and will, will uh, cherry pick all of these little different parts of, of other religions over the past 6,000 years mm-hmm. And voila, we've got Christianity. It's just this mixed bag of all these other religions. Well, that's not true at all. (laughs) And I've done a lot of the the research on that, and it can be disproven a million times over, but we won't do that this morning. So sticking with Paul's teachable moments from his proof positive, wildly transformed life, from his own wicked imaginations to righteous selflessness, shipwreck, imprisonment, he made it clear that our obedience Christ-word Is what? Our reasonable service. We're not even going over and above. You know, we're not looking to be lifted up on a chair or on someone's shoulders while they sing he's a jolly good fellow. It's just reasonable. You know? Hey the trash comes Wednesday, you should take it to the bottom of the driveway. That's reasonable. No one's waiting down there with a trophy. That'd be actually that'd be kind of cool. You did it. I sure did. (laughs) So Paul made it clear our obedience Christ's word is our reasonable service, which includes keeping our thoughts in our or in parentheses, God's own mind, because we just talked about it. we can have it. He takes us into His hand; we can take His mind and spirit into our heart. What an awesome divine exchange! So let's get on here to uh, number two words. Before we do that, Mark five fifteen actually says, "And they came to Jesus, and see that, uh, and see him that was possessed with the devil." Not not Jesus there. Sorry, maybe I should start over. This is about legion. Mark 5.15, and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. This is the onlookers. Hey, this guy's getting ready to cast out a devil. Let's uh, let's go check this out. And had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And what was this audience doing? They were afraid, the Bible says. So what were they afraid of? Shouldn't they have been more afraid of this demonic possession of this man where he wasn't in his right mind? He was biting himself, cutting himself, he was he was living this weird abomination where he dwell in the mountains. No, they're actually afraid now because they've seen this transformation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as I'm saying this to you guys right now, and this isn't anything new, but I'm getting chills because I think about what a parallel, what a huge blinking neon arrow to our lives as Christians when we're so transformed by God, when we let him be God, that others around us, family members, colleagues. They think we're a little strange. They get a little bit scared. They want to distance themselves from us. Wow, what's this guy on? Uh, nothing. It's nothing you can inject or swallow, but it sure is Jesus. And this was this was just an interesting illustration of what were the people afraid of. I mean, they were used to seeing this guy bonded up, drooling from his mouth, speaking incoherently. But as soon as God shows up, he gets cleaned up. So let's move on to words here, because those thoughts become our words, become our actions, become our life. Right. There's two really great verses. If you guys would please uh, turn to Psalms, or just one excerpt. Psalm 1914, or as Joe Biden says, (laughs) Psalms. We'll go there. Phonics are funny sometimes. While you guys are turning to Psalms 1914, I'm going to read from Romans 7.23, and uh, we'll just get back here to what Paul the Apostle has to say. Romans 7.23 reads, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of the mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is Paul just being very raw, very open and, and earnest with us, not saying, oh man, I'm, I got my, uh, my ink quill right here, I'm being inspired, maybe I should dress this up a little bit and give people something perfect to shoot for. I don't want to show my blemishes. No, Paul is being, he's, he's running an expose on himself. Because when you have Jesus and you're surrounded by like-minded believers, you understand we're all flawed. So what he wants to do is point out his imperfections in a way to glorify God. Because we already have a perfect example. We don't worship or pray to or make a deferment to Paul on our behalf, who's then going to talk to Jesus. No, we have a direct lifeline to Jesus Christ. So you guys are already there in Psalm 1914. It reads, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Boom, right there, we've got words and thoughts. Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What a phenomenal verse the psalmist shared with us here. And I love it because it's never narrow-minded. Scripture never just really covers one point to where you can read it, you can master it, you can close the book and go home. This is talking not only about our de- our words, but about the thoughts that give that wellspring of life to the words, because that's where it all starts. Really cool reference here as we kick off words and as we actively train our thoughts through pattern and prayer. That's really important to do both. We have to take our prayer and then we have to take that pattern and we have to continue putting it into our life on a daily basis. Build up that muscle memory as a Christian really. We don't want to testify against our flesh, against our spirit as we just talked about here, warring with one another, but we want these things to function in harmony. And it's possible. This isn't uh, some mountain summit or mountain peak that can't be accomplished. You can't stay there. It's not sustainable. There's no such thing as sinless perfection. But you can definitely summit it there, put that, uh, that flag for Jesus Christ on top, and make your way back down. But this is a pattern that we should do. Our natural, as the Bible calls it, or brutish nature as uh, sinful men, is to have the flesh, like Paul just talked about, war against the spirit. Because although we have God's spirit and mind in us and inspiring us, we're wrapped in this, you know, living tissue, like a Terminator or something like that. And that flesh is what's really bringing us down constantly, and it needs renewed. Now, I want to read this from Matthew twelve thirty-seven. <clears> 37. Um, this next reference won't come up for a couple minutes, but if you would, please turn to Romans twelve eighteen. And I'll read this excerpt from Matthew twelve thirty seven as you turn to Romans twelve eighteen. It says, For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. What an interesting uh, message in the gospel here that we're reading through, because as I read this, uh, and the Bible's of no private interpretation, but I think that this is a very balanced look at this verse. It says, For by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So this is just showing that ebb and flow of what we're putting out there to our fellow man because we know that the Bible shares a whole lot about what we say, the way that we speak it, that it should be, as we'll talk about in just a moment, salted or seasoned, and that as we go out there, we should do it in loving kindness. Now, we can be fair, but firm. The Bible's not saying that as we go out there and someone's spitting and blaspheming in the name of God is your door knocking or soul winning, that we should just stand there and take it Are you done? Okay, well, let me continue. No, we we can be bold as a lion, and we also don't want to suffer fools. Uh, You guys actually turn to Romans 12, 18, which is going to come up here in a second, but I I want to lay this out here real quick. Our words have enormous power in the moment, as we say them, and after leaving a lasting legacy of influence, here's the takeaway. That can't easily be reversed or changed. And that's what we look at with first impressions, handshakes, those first few moments that you spend with someone. Whether it's at the door, you know, Daniel just started a new career this uh, last week. He's meeting a lot of new people. He's laying that foundation for who he is and the task that he's up to as a diligent worker for Christ. Uh, Words have an ability to shape permanent perception, even after we're gone. That's pretty cool that it transcends our life. As much as a first impression and it's not limited to the spoken word only especially now in our information digital 21st century postmodern age wherever we're at right now fourth industrial revolution I don't know I can't keep up with it Uh, oh and speaking of things continuing after they've been written obviously Uh, I mean that's a no dumb moment but what I'm referring to specifically practically for our lives on a daily basis is going to be social media Or anything written that's typed out, text messages. You know, you can swipe on a keyboard. Uh, Our phones now, and I'm sure we're we're an Android couple, I'm sure even iPhones, and they're all wicked devices. But they even tell us, hey, based on the message above, we think you should send this message. You can just just tap here. Here's your suggested. I mean, how lazy have we gotten? Because I use it sometimes. (laughs) Will do. All right, let's put that back in the pocket. Uh, Yeah, everything's been kind of diluted down to uh, insanity here. But our digital persona has far-reaching, that's basically our our sphere of influence, and long-lasting, that's basically forward into the future. So you think about it. The fact that you have this huge circle around you, I don't care if you've got four friends on Facebook or 400,000, that doesn't matter. But that circle remains. And then the things that we utter with our mouth as we speak from the abundance of our heart, those things will have... An origin point and then forever move forward for anyone who's around to then read it or to remember what you had said. So we better be careful with our words. Uh, I mean, God sure was, right? He preserved this perfectly. So here's the takeaway. We can wield what I like to think of as the superpower wisely or wickedly. And it's up to us. That's what free will is. That's why we were given the tree. It's not so God could withhold stuff from us or... uh, be unfair or mean and you know I've even heard the arguments because I love stepping over into other lanes or you know entire other universes as it were with something like this but I've even heard people like the Church of Satan and Anton LaVey and and all of these horrible heretics who are no longer atheists by the way but I've even heard them try to make the supposition that uh, Satan rather than God was the was the real uh, lighthouse of freedom and knowledge and wisdom because Hey, he just wanted to broaden our horizons. Mm. He wanted to open up that third eye that had been calcified shut. And Mm. uh, he just made an offer of a fruit. Who's the real one that's trying to withhold knowledge Mm. from you, huh? That's so weak. I could just cut the legs out from underneath that in a single sentence. So let me give it a shot. The only thing Adam and Eve added to their faith was sin. They weren't. They didn't have their horizons widened. Nothing was broadened. Nothing was enriched. Nothing was edified. They went from a perfect, supernaturally upheld and sustained place in the garden to the curse, to the fall, to tilling the land, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forget if it was—brother Daniel or Gabriel—but talking about how after that curse, that men is cur- men have our own curse and travail, and so do women. So. Satan did his job. He does it very well. He's got a whole lot of on-the-job training, and he's doing it today still. Now, uh, our final bullet point here, I know we, we spend some time on words, but that's what we do a lot of. I'm doing a lot of it right now. But I do want to wrap this up. The biblical recipe for properly flavoring our words comes from Colossians 4, 6, and it reads, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may no, here we go again, how ye ought to answer every man. Now, this scripture, as soon as I read it, was really a direct uh, paraphrase or a parallel to 1 Peter, Peter 3.15, which is also one of my favorite verses. I say it a lot every verse that comes up. That's one of my favorite verses. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, They're right. Wrong. They're all yeah. <laughs> yeah. What from Romans? What? Oh, man, that's one of my favorites. So 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Separate him from the world. Don't add him to the world. Mm. Man, oh man, I mean, repeat that a hundred times over with with strange gods, with false gods. And be ready always. That word's showing up a whole lot. How can we be ready always? And what are we supposed to be ready for? Well, 1 Peter 3.15 wraps up by saying, to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, With meekness and in fear. That's basically our prescription or the recipe for how we should respond to the people that have questions of us. And by the way, I know many times we shouldn't answer a fool according to his folly, but when someone comes at you and they ask you these questions, these open-ended, door-swinging, wide-open questions, they might be doing it because they're scorners, they might be doing it because they're scoffers and mockers, but that's still an open-door opportunity, especially if other people are within earshot of that conversation, to share the gospel. And they're expecting your knees to shake and for you to cower down in fear. Oh, I don't know, there's 42,000 verses in here. No, the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. He will guide your words and you shouldn't really take thought on what you should say until you're in that moment. But we can sure be ready. Absolutely, because this, this sword never gets dull. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't even have one edge. You can cut any direction with it, which is really awesome. So you guys are in Romans twelve eighteen, and that just reads here, wrapping up words, if it be possible. So God's saying, I understand it's not possible with all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible, is it, guys? And those haters of God, those maligners, those backbiters, they're implacable. They can't be satisfied. They're not going away. But there are people out there with the soft, fleshy tables of their heart that are still out there. And speaking of still being out there, let's wrap up with deeds. So uh, we've talked about thoughts, words. What does God expect of us and how does he instruct us in our deeds, our daily actions and thoughts? Paul has lots to say about the most obvious display, because you can observe it, of our Christian life. Like, well, for example, in 1 Corinthians 9.27, he writes under the inspiration, but I keep under my body, and this this isn't Paul taking credit for God's work, this is him saying it's within my power, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or a hypocrite, if you think about it like that. So what Paul's saying is pick a lane and stay there. Stop going to and fro with every weird wind of doctrine you got to stand strong on something. Even if you're not right all the time, if you're doing your best and you're being faithful to what God has shared with you and you're constantly relying on, well, let's see what the Bible says. Well, let's see what the Bible says. Well, let's go into the Bible. Well, let's do a word search rather than, well, let me editorialize this for a second and let me come up to your intellectual heights. Let's both puff ourselves up until one of us cries uncle. No, just keep going back to the Bible. The work's been done. Whether you're talking about salvation or how to edify others around you, it's been done. It's finished. It's complete. I mean, the very earth that we're standing on, that we're all a part of right now, is going to pass away. But this won't. The Bible's going to stay here. So even into heaven, we're going to have a whole lot of questions and time for our own Bible study. And I know that we're going to be in the presence of the Word, capital T, capital W, but we're still going to have the Word right here. And I don't exactly know how that's all going to work out, but God does. And just everything that He lays out and puts at our feet is mind-blowing. So, this reveals to us that deeds and actions should be the natural expression of the first two layers being led by the Father, rather than our flesh. Our trinity of free will, thoughts, actions, and deeds, if you want to think about it like that, should be synchronistic, working in a complementary loop, or as I had said earlier, I think it's a little bit better as a triangle because I also think of the Trinity in that way. It doesn't matter what shape you conjure up. Who cares? I mean, we're talking semantics right now. But I will say this, that the triangle, the pyramids, those are the strongest natural simple structures known out there. And that's why a lot of structural engineers, a lot of architects will rely on that type of framework. The Egyptians sure did. And it's still around today. The triangle. That's pretty cool. So deeds shouldn't be piously manufactured or contrived with counterfeit conviction. Hopefully as we walk circumspect and we spend a lot of time in the Bible, we can mark those types of people and we can look for the warning signs of knowing, uh, I think those are just feigning words of wisdom. You guys, you know, I'm talking about like your Stephen Furex of the world, whoever the case might be, um, you know, pastors that come out on stage with uh, super soakers because they're, they're just trying to be relatable. Mm. Well, this book's really relatable. I mean, we haven't really veered far from it at all this morning. And Paul, just as one author and contributor under the inspiration, has shared a whole lot with us that's really relatable and applicable in 2020. Although, maybe I'm just jealous because I would love to spray everybody with a uh, super soaker. If you claim the name of Christian, legitimate or not, there shouldn't be a breach or a white gulf between your behavior in public and then in the privacy of your own home, this is something that was just like a really key point or a cornerstone that uh, Mateo had shared with us Wednesday at our Thanksgiving sermons, uh, where he shared from Psalm 101. It doesn't matter whether you're on a cool story that just randomly popped into my head, but whether or not you know you're being watched, you're always being watched We know that. That's what omnipresence is. But uh, my mom actually had someone show up in broad daylight because people were getting desperate out there into her driveway and try to saw off one of her catalytic converters because evidently those are mm-hmm. profitable. Yeah. seems like too much work to me. I mean, mm-hmm. the saw, the battery-powered saw that he was using probably cost as much as he would have gotten for that. What's hilarious is you watch this video and it's recorded, we actually submitted it to the police department in the, the township that we're in, is as soon as he looks over and he's like, he's so confident, it's noon, but as soon as he looks over and sees the ring camera, one of those little doorbell cameras, well, <laughs> oh, backs up and <laughs> gets in his car and leaves. Because all of a sudden, his dark deeds were brought to light. Now, he was actually arrested one or two days later because he got a little bit greedy and he was just going around driveway to driveway, (laughs) hacksawing people's catalytic converters off. Yeah, criminals are not smart. But after all, there's no such thing as privacy under, like I just mentioned, the omnipresent, watchful eye of Jesus, check this out, above looking down upon us, his, his, uh, his creation, or his awareness within. And that's the the conviction and the calling of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So there's two directions there. Deeds uh, are, I'm sorry, this is actually our our final uh, point here. If you would, as I read through this, would you turn to 2 Peter 1.4? And as you're uh, turning there, I'll just read that deeds shouldn't be piously manufactured or contrived with counterfeit conviction, just by way of going back there to make sure we understand that point. It should come from within. But the reason I wanted to stick there for just a brief moment is because I've noticed that when you give in to the Holy Spirit, even if you do it falsely in the beginning, you're still going to get a reward. It's still profitable. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of times, I don't want to go to the gym. I just, I don't want to, I shouldn't say a lot of the time. Almost never, really. Sarah never wants to go to the gym <laughs> and so <laughs> what I'll do because I'm, I'm so clever with uh, psychology right is I'll say hey let's maybe shave. we, we set a countdown timer let's shave all five minutes we'll meet halfway or 90% of the way me 10% of you and let's just get this over with you know what I mean and uh she knows that when I say that it's just an eye roll moment and she's like he's <laughs> not going to give up and she tries everything she can man she she really dangles that carrot and she's like you know, I'll make your favorite meal. Oh, well, didn't you just get a new PlayStation game? No. I don't even remember where the button's are on the PlayStation. Come on, let's go to the gym. But here's my point. Every single time that we get done, we feel great. We get the endorphins flown. We spend some time together as husband and wife. She spots me. I spot her. And it never returns void or unprofitable. So in order to take that and sort of Velcro it in a, a weird way to the Bible, is that if you if you're praying if you're in your bible every single day if you're setting that pattern against your own intentions and against your own morning patterns eventually that pattern becomes your new paradigm and i i've been living proof of that before by the way if you just say hey listen this is a no flex zone this is what i like to call a non-negotiable that's something that uh, in the past, when Sarah and I used to you know, own things like a small business before the government told us that we couldn't, I would try to share with our employees. As I would say, listen, you need to set non negotiables and you need to broadcast that to your world, whatever that looks like, your husband, wife, children, and you need to set that time aside. And it was really cool because at one point during the peak of our, our kingdom of uh, you know, a couple employees at our small business, I would always use those Zoom calls and those weekly broadcasts to also talk about the gospel and to somehow weave it in there. Um, Hopefully we'll get back to that because that was my favorite part about it all. But just do it, you know. Nike had it right, you guys. Sorry to disappoint. I know they're social justice warriors, but you just have to do it. And as you show God that you're willing to go against what you want to do and replace your wants with his commandments... He'll be faithful to continue that pattern and move that momentum forward for his glory. I promise you that's the truth. So, what's the final thought for today? What's that one takeaway? Well, before we get there, you're in Second Peter one four, and it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Wow. Really powerful. So God never breaks his promises. He gives us a whole book of them so that we can hold him accountable. Not that he needs us to. We don't hold God's feet to the fire, but he's always faithful and just. He never fails us. We fail him. And then what can we do with our deeds? We can have an outward showing of how we're separate. We're sanctified from the world. And that's a really cool place to be because you're going to get all sorts of different reactions from people like we talked about right at the outset of this message. They might distance themselves from you, but it just takes one. It just takes that one moth to the flame for them to come to you. So our final thought today is going to say, while our life would be well spent seeking opportunities to glorify God without respect for or thought of our rewards, we'll still receive rewards of crowns, as Brother Steve Powell shared recently. When we achieve the high calling of abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ, uh, actually, let's go there. This will be our last uh, scripture reference. John 15, 5. Let's go there real quick so that we can read this. Abiding in the vine and the fruit, the good fruit that comes out of that. In John 15, 5, it's going to read, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth, E-T-H, continually, abideth in me, and then what? And I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Yeah. And that's true, isn't it? Nothing. Look at that. Look at those concise words that God uses in his Bible. Man, there is no gray in this black and white. I love it. So we just read that scripture about abiding in the vine. So listen, whether it work, whether in the world, whether on social media, whether in your home, like we talked about, our thoughts, words, and deeds should coexist in biblical balance with joy. This isn't some weird subservient lifestyle where we put ourselves into a a black sackcloth and, you know, we scrape boils off of ourselves like Job did. No, with joy. We shouldn't serve in stone-faced bitterness, And I'll close out with this. Here's where that joy comes from. Deuteronomy 28, 47 reads, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. So what's the opposite of that? We can enjoy and have the abundance of all things if we're serving him and we're doing it joyfully. So this was just something I wanted to cover today with you guys because Even as we feel a little bit more isolated, sequestered on, uh, you know, at-home imprisonment, uh, quarantine, we still have a sphere of influence. And we're still going to have that ability like we talked about earlier. The circle around us, and then with our words continuing forward into the future. So make it good, make it count, and make it for God's glory. I'll close up with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you so much. Like we've just spent so much time talking about your word, never passing away, never failing, and for you giving us abundant promises so that as the going gets tough, we can open it, we can flip around in it, and we can see those promises and just know that you are God and that you faileth not. But boy, we sure do. And that's why you tell us that things of yesterday are gone, die daily, renew yourself daily through me, Because I'm going to give you that living bread. And you're never going to thirst again if you drink of this living water. So many promises going on in your book, God. Just let us be faithful to believe it like a child. And just to live every day, not worrying about the things of tomorrow. But letting our thoughts, our words, and our actions be true to you. Because you are always true to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Good, make it blank and make it to God's glory. We'll do middle one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really? Did, Did I just say it? Make it grand. <laughs> make it good. Just in first place. Make it good. Make it blank. Make <laughs> it to God's glory. I don't know. See <laughs> ya. <laughs>